Welcome to another episode of the Misadventures of an Inspired Woman podcast. Today, our guest is Dr. Adebola Dele Michael. Dr. Dele Michael says that beauty is a powerful thing. Looking your best builds confidence, vitality, and spirit. And yet, not all treatments are created equal. Her mission is to fill the knowledge gap in caring for skin and hair of color. For more than a decade, as a board-certified dermatologist, she's helped people of all shades, cultures, and races enhance the beauty of their color. She coaches beauty entrepreneurs to improve their services and grow their businesses. When it comes to inclusive beauty, Dr. Daly Michael got you. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. Yes. Yeah. That sound is, I think, because I'm actually, I'm on 59th Street. I'm right. There's a lot of dignitaries here. So you yeah. hear all sorts of crazy sounds. So I'm sorry. I apologize for that. It yeah, I'm, um, I am I am between the Plaza Hotel and the Essex House, which is one of the hotels where all the dignitaries stay. So I think that there must be some important people in town. So clearly, like the whole street is like shut down and there's a lot of sounds. So sorry about that. Is, listen, I'm in Brooklyn. A, a siren might go by any given moment. My neighbor might decide to do his morning workout. Like, listen, yes, this is what it is, right? But I love, like, your location. I I have so many questions, so let me just center all of this. Um, This season, our theme is dope Black women doing dope Black women things. And dope Black women things is just the things that only dope Black women can do, right? And so here you are. You are a dermatologist. You have multiple offices. You have all these things. But I want you to sort of take us back to... Where did this journey begin for you? Yes, thank you. Um, you know, it's always interesting when people tell me to kind of recount the journey. The journey is still going on, right? Mm-hmm. But I will tell you a little bit about what I've been able to put together about the journey so far. So I was born in the U.S. to Nigerian parents. My parents came here to study, so they moved back to Nigeria in the 80s the early 80s after they um, had me and my siblings. So I grew up in Nigeria. I grew up in a very academic um, environment. My dad was a college professor then. He taught biochemistry. My mom worked in the hospital. So I worked, I I grew up amongst people that looked like me, that had PhDs. And I don't know if you know about Nigerian people. Nigerian people just love getting, they like collecting PhDs. (laughs) I kind of joke about that. So, you know, I kind of grew up in that environment where women had PhDs. I also grew up, there weren't a lot of female doctors when I was growing up in the 80s um, in Nigeria, but there were a few. And those few female doctors that looked like me, they inspired me because I, I noticed the outfit, the white coat, the stethoscope, the way they carry themselves. And I said to myself, wow, it really caught my attention. I remember thinking to myself that maybe I could be that. So that was how the journey started. And I was also very fortunate that I had teachers that believed in me, teachers that looked like me, believed in me. And the expectation was when you're growing up in a country that's predominantly Black people, the expectation is that one of us is going to have to grow up to become the next doctor to take care of me. So my teachers were very invested and uh, my parents were very invested and they nurtured that career, that career goal. 
And then I finished high school in Nigeria. Then I moved to the United States uh, for college. So I went to college at Stonerbrook and Stonerbrook was very diverse as well. So I was, I felt comfortable um, at Stonerbrook. I studied biochemistry and that was when I said, okay, I want to go to medical school. So I kind of started hanging out with people who also had similar dreams. Then I took my MCAT, applied to medical school. I went to University of Rochester for medical school. And um, then I started thinking to myself, okay, what kind of specialty would be the best specialty for my skill set? And then I said, okay, um, I really like dermatology. Dermatology is very, 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 very competitive. So that was really when all the doubters started basically putting messages in my life, like, oh, Mm. you can't match, you know? And the thing is, my husband and I were a couple. So my husband also is a medical, uh, he was a medical student at the time. So we were couple matching. And when you're couple matching, it already makes a difficult process super difficult. When you're couple matching into a field like dermatology, it makes it super uber competitive. So just so, a one minute, just to clarify yes. for some of our listeners in terms of what the match is, you're mm-hmm. applying to go into your your residency, residency yeah. and there are but so many spots for yes. way many stu- students. You got it. You got yeah. it. That's the best explanation for it, actually. Now, with dermatology, dermatology is, I think, as of when I was applying, there was probably about 150 applicants for one spot. So it was very competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, so my husband and I, we uh, were couple matches. So it was very, very competitive at the time. And a lot of people, not pe- not a lot, but some people, some very key people that discouraged me from applying, but I still went ahead and I applied and lo and behold, I matched. And then um, after I matched, you know, um, into dermatology, I started uh, my training. And then um, when I finished my training, I got a job in Jersey. I worked there for about a year and a half. And then, you know, things just weren't really going well when I was working for somebody else. Um, Then I decided to start my practice. And again, um, you know, some key people were like, oh, you're not going to be successful. Don't don't start your practice yet. This is back in 2012 that I started my practice. So the economy was still very kind of shaky at the time. And then also um, Affordable Care Act was about to be um, implemented. So people didn't really know what was going to happen with that. So there weren't a lot of people hiring. And then also um, people were being very cautious. So people didn't want to start their practice. But that was a time that I had to start my practice because I couldn't get a job, right? I couldn't get a job in Manhattan uh, as a dermatologist. I applied, but I could not get a job. And I kind of suspect that a lot of it has to do with the fact that my name, my accent, um, I'm a person of color. So, you know, I wasn't able to get a job. So I just started my practice. And then people told me that I wasn't going to be able to do it, but I still started it anyway. And then, you know, the anxiety of, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm starting my practice in one of the most competitive cities in the world. And there's a lot of dermatologists in Manhattan already. So of course, you know, that kind of got to me a little bit, but luckily I did not let the fears and the anxiety and the naysaying get to me because what, this is my eighth going on ninth year being in my practice. And uh, eight years later, I have three offices. We're doing our thing. We're helping the community. Um, I feel like I'm able to influence care of a lot of people. Um, In my position as, you know, proprietor 
Yeah. So because I'm a proprietor, I own the practice. So that means that I can buy whatever technology I want to buy. I don't have to answer to anybody. It's not a decision by committee. I say, I want to buy this laser. I buy the laser. If I feel like it's going to help my patients, you know, then I buy it. And the good thing about what I do is that because I own my practice and I specialize in skin of color, I can buy technologies that are specifically targeting skin of color. And then also when I went ahead and I created my skincare line, uh, my skincare line is at admskin.com. When I went ahead and created my skincare line, I realized that there were some gaps. Okay. So when consumer products are made, they're made for mainstream America, right? So, you know, when someone wants to design a skincare product, you meet with a chemist and the chemist is going to tell you who is your target market. So you might come up with names of celebrities that you like. Well, guess what? When a lot of uh, these consumer brands are making their skincare products, they are not naming people like you, people like me, because we're not really considered the epitome of beauty in this country, unfortunately. So that, that it turns out that there's a lot of gaps when it comes to skin of color and the products that are available for us. So I decided to create a skincare line that actually addresses those needs, that meets the, that addresses those specific needs. So a lot of the needs that people of color have are going to be hyperpigmentation. So with a lot of women of color, we're not going to wrinkle, but we're going to have spots. We're going to have dark marks. Okay, that's just what our skin does. Um, the other thing that we tend to do, we tend to sag. So um, a lot of it has to do with the fact that number one. When our skin ages, we don't really wrinkle. We tend to sag because we lose a lot of elasticity of our skin. And then coupled with the fact that vitamin D is not as readily absorbed by our skin because of the darker pigment in our skin that prevents the vitamin D absorption that happens when you're outside, that can cause us to start losing the bone structure of our face. So for instance, like your jaw, your cheekbones, you know, when we are like in our 30s because of vitamin D deficiency, which a lot of people in the Northeast have vitamin D deficiency, mm -hmm. by the way, that actually causes us to start basically losing our bone structure. So our jaw lines, our cheekbones actually starts resorbing. So the skin starts to sag. So those are the two things that most people of color actually face as we age, right? So those are the things that I wanted to make sure that I optimized for with my skincare products. Then also with the lasers too, we wanted I wanted to make sure that we had lasers that were safe for skin of color, that address a lot of concerns that people of color have. So for instance, razor bumps. A lot of men suffer from razor bumps. A lot of women also suffer from razor bumps. A lot of women of color also have sometimes unwanted hairs on the beard area. Like I have some women that we've been able to treat successfully that actually had a full beard. They had to shave every day. And then because they had to shave every day and they were very self-conscious, they would wear a lot of makeup to cover up the hair. But the laser that I offer in my practice actually safely and effectively treat those unwanted hairs. So, so those are some of the ways that I've been able to make a difference. Then the other things that I do that I'm able to make a difference is, first of all, like I'm able to hire the best people and also provide jobs for them, make sure that I'm mentoring them, investing in their lives and their training as well. And then also, I also enjoy uh, mentoring young kids because the kind of opportunity that was afforded me because I saw people that looked like me 
just doing dope things, doing their things. That's what really created that idea that I could do it. So when I see a child of color or any child, as a matter of fact, come into my office, I love taking the time to really talk to them about what they want to do, inspiring them and engaging them in conversations about, oh, you know, you could do that too. You could be a doctor, you could be a nurse, you could be a teacher, you could be an engineer, you could be whatever you want to be. Because sometimes that's the only time that someone who is not their parent is telling them that they can be what they want to be. That's, that's just so amazing. So I want to go back to where you talk about getting ready for the match. And we have a similar match in psychology. So I, I, I know how nerve wracking that I always said, if I had a match, like I would still be on the floor of my apartment. Like, <laughs> it's like you don't want to sit out that year or however long that's going to take until yeah. you match, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when you're dealing with all of that and the pressure, um, of being in medical school, going through all of this, getting ready to match and key people that you're looking to, to sort of like lift you up, hold you up, encourage you as long as well as at the same time, when you were going forward with your practice, again, key people, what is it or what was it that sort of allowed you to stand your ground and and still push forward with everything that you had to do? I didn't realize it at the time, but I think my my perspective about this is my failure is mine. It's not anybody else's. My success is also mine. But you know what? I share my success with a lot of people. So I've earned the right to fail if I have to and to learn from it. So for me, failure is not the end. And also, I also don't really consider it failure. Like there are times when things don't really quite work out the way that I intended it to be, but it ends up being even more beautiful if you just let it be. So sometimes take a step back from a a problem you're trying to solve. It could be that you're trying to open a window when there's a big door right next to you. So sometimes it's just taking a step back and just taking another look at stuff. But all along, I've always kind of felt like, you know what? I have to give it a try, even if I fail. And the interesting thing is every single time that I take that leap of faith, there's usually, you know, God there to catch me. There's usually loved ones and family members or even strangers. You know, God just places strangers in my life that catch me so that that way I can have my 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 God, my my dream and my my purpose in life can be fulfilled. So but. What it is, is you have to try. You have to be willing to take that leap of faith. If you don't, if you don't take that leap of faith, you're not going to make any change. You're not going to be able to live to your purpose. That's so powerful. Like you're such an inspiration, even as you talk about that and that sort of having your faith and, and taking that leap of faith. Um, have you ever had those those moments or those situations where you're like, I don't know what's happening. Like, this is not what I expected. Last season, we talked about detours and sort of like you say, you know, something fell apart or it didn't work out the way you wanted, but it was even greater. Do you have like a a particular time where that happened for you? Well, um, there's a lot, there's been a lot of times, but what about the time that we're living in right now? 
mm-hmm. the whole pandemic. Yeah. You know? How have you been able to sustain? And because you have multiple locations, you didn't just mm-hmm. begin your practice. Um, and your first office, was it in Manhattan? Yes. 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 You My have- first office um, is actually, um, so this is on uh, 59th Street. So Central Park South between 6th and 7th. That's what this office is. Then I have an office in Harlem on 115 between 7th and 8th. And I have one office in Washington Heights on West 162. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's it's really interesting because um, just to kind of answer the question first, like, okay, well, how do I deal with it? I, you know, I've been through the ups and downs of owning a business for so long that I understand that this is part of the, the process of owning a business. You know, there are going to be times that, you know, you're going to have surplus and there's going to be times that you're going to have deficits, but you want to make sure that the average, when you average everything out, you're breaking even. So, so I don't really sweat the small stuff for, for the most part. That's number one. Um, with the whole pandemic and with the whole COVID, you know, how are we surviving? Well, the grace of God, but also um, five years, uh, six years ago, 2015, I opened up my offices in the neighborhood. I just had the inspiration that, okay, well, I've always wanted to be providing care in our communities, communities of color. So I said, okay, let me open up my practice in um, Harlem and in Washington Heights. And it so happened that I just got those two locations opened up that same year at the same time. And I remember naysayers were like, oh, don't open up two locations at the same time. It's going to be crazy. But I went ahead and did it anyway. The interesting thing is, um, fast forward to 20, uh, 2020. It turned out that, you know, um, we had COVID. I mean, the pandemic was going on. Um, and then also the whole riots and the protests around um, George Floyd started happening. And people didn't feel comfortable leaving their neighborhoods. People didn't feel comfortable leaving their communities. And that was that was a, a stroke of genius because if you think about it, we already had those commu- we already had those offices in the community. So I was busy the entire time. I mean, we I had to shut my office for um, about two months when um, we had that lockdown the state mandated lockdown. But once the, uh, the the lockdown was lifted, I was able to go back to the office and provide care in the communities. I actually didn't even offer any services in my Midtown office until probably like September of last year because we were busy in the Harlem office and in the Washington Heights office. People loved the fact that they could just wake up and get dressed and go to um, a really, really great doctor in their communities, in their neighborhoods. So um, that's actually one of the things that was a bright spot, but it turned out that the inspiration started five years ago. So if you're, if you're, um, if you have a passion about something and you pursue it, I know that it sounds cliche. People always say, oh, you know, if you're, if you love, if you do what you love, the money will come, but it's true because I went ahead and I opened up my practices in the community. And, you know, I know people were thinking, oh, well, she's so crazy. Why would she open up her practice in the communities where people, quote unquote, cannot afford the services? But first of all, people can afford the services. So that's a myth. And then second of all, um, you know, it, it ended up being a blessing because not only were we able to offer services to people in the community, in their community, during a time that was very, very tumultuous, 
We also, we also um, were able to continue to sustain ourselves financially. So, so that's actually one of the things that, and, and that's one of the things that I always do. Anytime I'm served a lemon, I always look for how I can make lemonade out of it. Mm-hmm. There's always lemonade that you can squeeze out of any lemon. I don't care what anybody says. There's always an opportunity to squeeze a lemon, to squeeze a lemon and make lemonade out of it. I love it. You know, one of the things I, I love that your focus was in making sure you had people had access in communities. Because one of the things, it's 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 gotten easier, I think, to find a dermatologist of color to find a black dermatologist, but mm-hmm. it's not. The first, it's, it's there aren't that many of you, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And so, like I know for myself, um, eczema is something that I've suffered from, and it wasn't mm-hmm. until I got to a black dermatologist that we kind of got it under control for a period of time. And so, I was talking to a friend of mine because she had a she had like a mole removal or something like that, and it wasn't done by a black dermatologist, but not just a black dermatologist, but somebody who really understands our skin and is making sure that they're using the treatments and the technology specifically for our skin. Can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about why it's so important that we do that? So, okay, you're talking about cultural competence there. Exactly, so, yes. Yes, in in terms of the way medical education is even delivered in this country and in pretty much all over the world. Um, The people that created the curriculum and the people that the curriculum was intended for are white males and maybe white females. So um, a a lot of the medical education that is being taught is being taught through the lens of, okay, a white person is a person teaching you and it's really intended for a white student. And then, um, so there's really nothing that really teaches how to care for a diverse community. So I actually had to go out of my way to teach myself how to care for people of color. And there's a lot of things there. So it's not that the medicine is so different. It's just the way that, um, you know, uh, an artist will paint differently. Maybe it's sunrise, maybe it's sunset. You know, there are some nuances that really make a difference. So, for instance, in dermatology, there's something that we all know. Um, as a lot of our uh, skin of color dermatologists, we all know. For instance, if somebody has a scalp issue and she's a person of color and you tell her to wash her hair every day, that's not going to happen because right. women of color typically don't wash their hair every day. That's just something that culturally we don't do. Um, and then also, you know, for instance, my husband is a, uh, is a cardiologist. If you are telling someone to not eat salt and you don't realize that, okay, well, it, for them, maybe they like eating salted cod or something. If, if you don't understand that and you're not able to really visualize that person's lifestyle and walk in their shoes, you're not going to be able to help them. Because it's really, it shouldn't be the patient's responsibility to learn how to care for themselves. We should be the ones educating them. So we should be the ones meeting them in in that gap so that that way we can make sure that they get the best care. So, but the good thing is, like you said, there are more people of color going into the field of dermatology. What I would like to see is more people of color going into the field of dermatology and owning their practices, because that's really how you make a difference. When you work for a corporation, 
that is not owned by a person of color, sometimes your vision and the way you want to deliver care can be at odds with the way that the corporation wants to deliver care or the way that the practice owner wants to deliver care. So for instance, it's hard to justify buying a laser that's 50% more expensive than your general laser because you want to buy a laser for skin of color. So that's one of the things that I actually, um, that was one of the reasons why I went ahead and started my practice. I wanted to be able to have autonomy so that that way I can deliver the care that I really feel people deserve. So, so that's, so cultural competence, but hopefully in the next few years, we can actually develop a, a curriculum. And that's one of the things I'm working on because I do coach physicians. I coach people in the, in the skin and beauty industry on how to deliver care that's culturally competent to their, to their, uh, to their clients and to their patients, because people actually want to deliver culturally competent care, but it's just not being taught in medical schools. It's not being taught in uh, universities. It's not being taught in most places. So, you know, that is one of the reasons why I have this course and my coaching where I can actually help people become more culturally competent so that that way it doesn't, you don't have to be a black person in order to be able to deliver culturally competent care. So if you're a Caucasian uh, dermatologist and you really want to deliver care that is going to be great for your, for your clients and for your patients, you know, you just need to be trained the same way that we were trained in medical school to deliver care anyway, but we just need to deliver care that's more culturally competent and more culturally sensitive. I love it. I, I'm just, I'm waiting for you to just take over the whole dermatology field, the whole training, the, just everything. Um, because I think with, with that mind, the, the mindset that you have, people would get so much more better care. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm working on it. I actually, I'm developing a course now that is going to deliver the care that's culturally competent to, to, to people in general. And, and, and my course is not just for dermatologists, right? My course is also going to be geared to estheticians, people in, people of makeup artists, people in the beauty space, because frankly speaking, makeup artists, estheticians, they spend more time working on your face than most of the dermatologists spend with you as a patient. Like for me, on average, if I'm seeing a patient, I mean, I do spend time with my patients. I really enjoy getting to know them and just helping them. Um, but most dermatologists will spend five to 15 minutes, you know, just working on your skin. But I mean, there are some makeup artists that will spend two hours just beating your face, beating your mm-hmm. face, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then you have some estheticians that will spend an hour just doing facials for you. So they really get to spend more time with you. And because they spend more time with you, because that's the nature of their job, um, it really is important that they also become culturally competent because the way that they're being taught in their in their programs also, it's not culturally competent. So we need to make sure that, you know, we're... Um, helping as many people as possible become foot soldiers to be able to help us to deliver care that's competent to uh, to, our, to our patients, to our clients. So, you know, for instance, what I actually love to do, and I've been meeting a lot of really wonderful estheticians and people who are in the makeup space, beauty space on Clubhouse. One thing that I would love to do is to be able to kind of design a course that can really help them to, first of all, become aware of 
some of the skin problems that should really prompt them to refer to uh, a dermatologist. And also I'm working with them also to kind of get them the confidence to be able to call up a dermatologist that's a local dermatologist and say, hey, look, I would like to refer my clients to you. Um, you know, let's set up a, an arrangement where I can refer my clients to you. And I know that you're not going to steal my clients. And I tell them, no dermatologist is gonna steal your clients. And dermatologists, what we do is so different. Um, but I want them to be able to have the courage to be able to call up the dermatologist, plastic surgeon in their community, so that that way they can actually feel comfortable, you know, referring their clients to doctors to be able to get, you know, proper care. Because sometimes patients come to me and um, they uh, come in with moles that was recognized by their hairstylist or with, you know, moles that was actually pointed out to them by their facialists. So that's really important that they also become aware of some of the things that they should be, they should be looking out for. So Dr. Dale and Michael, you have three locations. You're helping all these different people. Um, you have your course, you have your skincare line, you're married, you have kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have two kids. I have a nine-year-old son and a, and a four-year-old son. So I have two boys. You have two and boys. I'm, I'm a boy mom. Mm-hmm. Boy mom. And how are you just like balancing? What are the, the most, the key parts of you being able to try to strike balance in your life okay. with all those things? Thank you so much. So for, uh, first of all, I take the whole village mentality, the village approach. Okay. Again, it goes back to my upbringing. Um, my mom also was a professional mom, so we had aunties in our lives. We had, you know, nannies, we had babysitters in our lives, and we had people in our lives that helped to extend the care and the love that my parents weren't able to give because they were also working. Um, so for me, I actually, I have a village around me. My mother-in-law, she, she lives with us, and... Uh, it, and I actually have a wonderful relationship with my mother-in-law, but it was, you know, it wasn't always like that. I mean, I think initially the relationship could have been anything we wanted it to be, but for me, I really wanted it to work. Okay. So she's part of my village. I definitely seek help anytime I, um, I need help. So if I need help with, you know, getting my house to be clean, I will not hesitate to reach out and call on my village and say, hey, look, I need your help. Um, I have a wonderful staff, you know, and I I invest in them to make sure they get the best training um, and they invest back in me. So I definitely believe in the whole village approach. Um, And then in terms of balance, you know, like I'm trying to kind of look at a different mindset, which is not so much balance. I'm thinking of it like a pie, like a Mm -hmm. pizza pie, right? So, you know, sometimes I give my kids 90% of the pizza, right? Sometimes I can only give them 10%, but when I'm giving them 10%, it's for a short period of time because I have other things I have to do, right? But I make sure that the 10% is the best quality that I can get, right? And my goal is to make sure that I'm constantly increasing the amount of the pizza I can give them, knowing fully well that I can never give anybody 100% of the Mm -hmm. pizza. So that's how I think about it. So I don't think about it so much in terms of balance because Balance also means that, you know, if something is taken out of the whole balance, the scale, then things will tip over. Mm-hmm. But I think of it like, OK, it's a pizza pie and my kids understand, you know, so I'm also grooming the next entrepreneurs and next business people. So I, I invite them. I, I let them, 
be a part of um, my whole business thing. So my son, my nine-year-old loves giving me tips. Mom, okay, let me tell you how you can do your marketing. So he loves to do that. Mm -hmm. He likes to get interested. So he understands, okay, mom is working and, and he can be a part of it. So, and then recently what I've been doing is, you know, I tell him that, you know, he can earn because, you know, right now he's into Roblox. So all about it is like, you know, he needs to buy, you know, um, tokens so he can play the, the video game, uh, like electronic tokens. So he wants to earn a certain amount of money. So I'm like, okay, well, let's do this marketing thing together and then you can earn $5. So I said to him, I'm like, okay, well, let's do this. So I'm kind of giving him tasks to do, but I'm teaching him a skill. It's not just that I'm giving him a task. I'm not giving him like a pointless task to do. I'm telling him, okay, well, get on the computer, open up the Word document, type up this thing here. Let's let's make some shapes. So he's learning a skill because I want him to be able to, in the future, think about solving problems, not necessarily wanting to work for somebody, but learning to solve a problem so that that way, when he grows up, he can also see how an entrepreneur thinks. But the expectation is also, look, you know what? Don't wait for somebody to solve your problem. Solve your own problem. And that's how you can make money too. I love it. I love it. So what what can we look for next from you? Okay, definitely. So I always have a lot of projects I'm working on. Um, I definitely am working on an ebook. Um, so I kind of want to release a book about how to change your mindset so that you can be a winner, so that that way you're not getting stuck. So I want to release that. Um, people always want to know um, how I, you know, came from my background. I don't come from money. I don't have any business background. I actually don't have any family members that own a business. How did I come from that? And how do I have my business today that's very successful? Um, so people want to know that. So I, I am actually writing a book about that. Uh, as I said before, I do have a course that I'm developing right now that's going to, you know, first of all, teach cultural competence, but also teach some skills that can help business owners, especially people in the skin and beauty industry to be more successful. And then of course, you know, you can always find me in one of my three office locations, um, you know, seeing patients. And then when I get home, um, I'm doing mommy things and doing wife things and stuff like that. So my question I was gonna ask you next is you talked a little bit about estheticians and makeup. What are some things that we definitely should be doing in terms of balancing seeing our dermatologists, getting facial treatments and using makeup and so something that we definitely should not be doing? Okay, great. That's actually a multi-layered question, <laughs> but I will try to uh, address it as quickly as possible. So I came up with a five-step way of actually properly caring for your skin. And I updated it for 2021 because what happened is, you know, things have changed so rapidly since last year. Mm -hmm. So what I did was I found out that, you know, even when you're going to the web, um, a lot of the um, five, a lot of the steps to like care for your skin, they're outdated now. Mm -hmm. So I came up, I have a blog. Um, it's on my drdillamichael.com website. Um where I actually talked about the five steps. So I'm going to just talk about it real okay, quick. Okay, so we, so we can send folks is, there too. So what's the website? Yeah, yeah. DrDaleMichael.com. Okay. Yeah. So the first step is to cleanse. You want to cleanse your skin with a gentle cleanser. Um, a gentle cleanser 
should not disrupt your acid mantle. So you don't want to use a soap. You want to use a cleanser. So sometimes we will use soaps such as African black soap. And those soaps are actually alkaline. So what, al what alkaline soaps do is they disrupt the acid mantle of the skin. The skin actually performs best when it's acidic, when the surface of it is acidic. So that's your first line of defense. So you want to make sure you're not using any soaps that can actually disrupt your acid mantle. So you want to cleanse with a gentle cleanser. Or you can use a cleanser that has active ingredients with words like acid. So lactic acid, kojic acid, hyaluronic acid, things like that. The second step is going to be to apply the medication your doctor prescribed. So if you are seeing a board-certified dermatologist and they've prescribed the medication for acne, for melasma, for eczema, that's when you apply it. So that's the next step is called medicate. The third step is to rejuvenate. So you want to apply your serum. So some of us have serums that have vitamin C in it. Some of us have serums that have hyaluronic acid in it, spirulic acid, different things. So again, you see a lot of this serums, a lot of the active ingredients that you need for your skin and in the word acid, because we want to try to want to establish an acid mantle and want to promote it. Now, Acids are not created equally. So you want to make sure that you're working with someone who really knows what they're talking about when you're purchasing your skincare products. You want to invest in the best products you can afford. So that's why a lot of my skincare products, they are designed, like I said, with love and science. Mm -hmm. So my skincare products are available on admskin.com. Now, the third step is rejuvenate. We already talked about that. The next step is to hydrate. So you want to moisturize. So that is an optional step. Sometimes your serum can already have a lot of moisturizing um, ability in it. So for instance, hyaluronic acid is a very, very good moisturizer. So if you're using a serum that is very, very high in hyaluronic acid, then the fourth step, which is the hydration step, could be optional. Um, but keep in mind that uh, the role of a serum is different from the role of a moisturizer. Uh -huh. A serum's job is to, it's been formulated to be able to penetrate deeper into the skin so they can actually deliver the um, higher concentration of the active ingredients into the skin. A moisturizer has been formulated to be able to lock in moisture. So it may not penetrate deeply, but it locks in the moisture. So you want to use a serum first, that's rejuvenate. And then the next step is hydrate. And then the last step is going to be your protection. You always want to wear sunscreen. And you want to wear a physical sunscreen. So um, if you actually go to my blog, I talk a little bit about the sunscreen that I recommend, which is a physical sunscreen. That's the sunscreens that have zinc oxide and titanium dioxide. Oh. Zinc oxide, titanium dioxide, they're minerals. So they actually reflect the sun away like a mirror. So that, that way you're not absorbing any of the ultraviolet rays. Now, ultraviolet A is not actually is not being filtered out with a lot of the chemical sunscreens. So a lot of the chemical sunscreens that you buy over the counter, they don't actually protect you from ultraviolet A. And ultraviolet A is what's going to cause the tanning and the wrinkle and the sagging of the skin. So ultraviolet A causes discoloration, especially for women of color. Now there's a catch there because a lot of um, your sunscreens that are mineral sunscreen, the physical sunscreen, they look white on the skin. Mm -hmm. So a lot of women of color don't like wearing them. So you wanna wear something that is micronized, a micronized physical sunscreen. You don't wanna wear a nanoparticle sunscreen because we don't know what nanoparticles do to the body yet. 
-hmm. they're too tiny your body doesn't have a way of of getting rid of them so actually my skincare line um my sunscreen is micronized zinc oxide and it goes on very very easily i did a video on my instagram page um, showing how to apply sunscreen and i was able to get the sunscreen actually fully absorbed without leaving a white cast in about um maybe like 45 seconds. So something that people can also watch too. So you can go to my Instagram page um, at um, Dr. Dale and Michael. So Dr. Period Dale and Michael. And then you can watch the video on how to apply sunscreen. And then also I have some educational stuff on, you know, what to do, you know, the steps to protect your skin as well. Nice, nice. And I enjoy watching how much you try to educate folks through your Instagram. So now we're going to move to the lightning round. The lightning round is just random questions. Um, Just answer. Mm -hmm. Don't even think about it. Okay. First question. What is your favorite color? My favorite color is red. Can you tell? (laughs) Also purple, red and purple. Love it. Um, Your favorite dessert? Um, warm chocolate cake. Nice. Your celebrity crush. Oh, it has to be a dark skinned brother. Okay. <laughs> it used to be Jaman Hansu, but now it has to be, well, I don't know the name of the guy from, um, what's the name of that, sh- that sugar something on oh, own? Oh, brown channel? sugar. Um, is it brown? No, not, not brown sugar. Not brown sugar. I know what so. you mean. Sugar. Uh, you're talking about yeah. the guy that was in, um, he was in, Oh gosh, girls trip. He was in girls trip too, right? I think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. He has, he has to be Kofi? like a dark skinned brother. Kofi. I think that's his name. I think that's his name. You have to be like a dark skinned brother, you know, <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. Love it. Um, what is your guilty pleasure? My guilty pleasure lately has been being on Clubhouse. <laughs> But I love to read. Actually, I love, love, love to read. That's my guilty pleasure. Um, but lately it's been going on. I don't know. Clubhouse is so addicting. I know. It's hard to get off. Last question. Who plays Dr. Adebola Dele Michael in the story of her life? And what genre is it? Is it drama? Oh is my it God. comedy? Is it a musical? <laughs> it's definitely comedy. Okay. It's comedy. I love comedy. Who plays? It has to be someone really fly, okay? Someone really fly and really dope. Mm. Help me out here. Tell me. I'm trying to well, think. Gab- Gabrielle Union might be able to play me. She's yeah. fly. She's dope. Um, I think Kerry Washington might be able to play me. I think those are two good choices. Yeah. I can yeah, see definitely. that happening. Oh, you know what? Let me give some. Let me give some of my Nigerian sisters shout outs, okay? Adepero Oduye could play me because she's a Nigerian actress and she is fantastic. Um, let me see who else. Uh, there's there's a lot of Nigerian actors right now that are they're not known yet in the U.S., but you're going to be finding out about them and they are fantastic. There's a show I like to watch. It's called Skinny Girl in Transit. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, the lead character could possibly play me but her younger sister probably definitely could play me because she's very funny i love it i love it thank you so much dr daily michael i enjoyed talking to you um i know that our listeners are going to be so inspired by you and you know just continue to do dope things i'll be here just watching thank and you cheering so much. you much thank you so much and i will see you in clubhouse yes i'll bye see bye. you bye take care bye thank you
Hey, Inspired Person. I hope you really enjoyed that episode. I thought it was really good to do it now as we're at the cusp of summer and we're really wanting to pay attention to what we're doing with our skin in terms of skincare as well as protecting it from the sun. I definitely was inspired by Dr. Adabola Dele Michael and just her drive to push forward and not being afraid of failing and owning her failures as her own. So I hope that you got something great out of this as well as the amazing skincare tips that she offered. Be sure to click like, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't as yet, and please share it with someone else. I'm still waiting for a couple folks to leave me some reviews. And as always, if you're interested in podcasting or learning any type of skill, I do have a course on Skillshare and I have a code to give you 14 free days of that amazing platform. So either hit me up through email or go to my Instagram and you'll see the link posted there. And as always, be intentional.